Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, my friend. Uh, hope you are well. Hope you're feeling good. Welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where we try and catch you up so you can head into the weekend or indeed the rest of your week feeling informed and like you will know what people are talking about when things come up in conversation. Um, we have got great stuff lined up for you this hour. But before we get going, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your feedback on last week's episode and um, particularly on my mm, diatribe rant uh, soapbox about body stuff at the start of the episode episode. Um, I got so many lovely messages from you guys and I really appreciate it and I appreciate you sharing your own experiences with me as well. Um, don't forget that if you ever want to share an experience that you might want to be included in my Patreon episode, in the mailbag episode, um, do. You can send me a voice note on 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. And um, I do a once a month mailbag episode or every four weeks uh, where I respond to those and then it's released as a bonus episode. Thank you as well for your feedback on the Patreon episode that I did with Laura DeBarra um, about the Real Housewives cinematic universe and yes, Vanderpump Rules as well and the drama that's gone on there. That's available there if you want to join. Um, the link for the Patreon is in the show notes. But don't worry, we are going to cover the Vanderpump story later on in the entertainment shot as well. So no pressure. Now, we might as well get into it because there's a lot to talk about this week. So let's start with the news. It's time to catch up once more on the news and journalist Eva Moore is here once again. Well, of course she's here because I'm in her house. <laughs> she lives here. But the time people hear this, I'll be 32. Oh, the same age as Jesus. Was Jesus 32? Yeah. The only reason I know that is because an ex-boyfriend of mine. I think he was 33. Texted me. I think he was 33. Okay, anyway, happy okay, birthday. Well, anyway, me and Jesus. Roughly the same age as Jesus, mm. give or take a year. Um, yeah, that's very exciting. Pisces season, bring mm. on the tears. Yes, bitch. Um, no, no tears. <laughs> no more tears. No tears left to cry. <laughs> 
Um, okay, Jesus, I'm literally just talking total gibberish here. Sorry, it's been a week. Um, let's get into the news because we actually do have a lot to talk about and we will start with the rental eviction ban, which has been kind of the biggest political story of the week by far. Yeah, this is like if anyone watches Leaders Questions, much like I do because I'm a total loser, um, this has been very divisive. So the government, after much deliberation, have ended the eviction plan that's been in place since the 30th of October. They said it was covering the winter emergency period. And it said it means that the ban means that if you were renting a private rental accommodation from a landlord, you couldn't be evicted during that period, even if you were issued with a notice to quit. Mm. Now, they brought it in in October because inflation, the cost of living crisis, because he loves the cost mm-hmm. of living crisis, and coming into winter, they couldn't risk you know people being evicted onto the streets um, yeah because they just didn't have enough emergency accommodation i would also say it did not ban evictions outright it banned no fault evictions so if you hadn't paid your rent mm. or you had wrecked the house you could still be evicted right so they it also meant that you could still serve eviction notices during the ban mm. so now that ends and they will it won't all happen on a cliff edge but depending on when you were served the notice, you'll have X amount of time before you have to be out mm. of <clears throat> the place. Yeah. yeah. So it's been very, very divisive. Everyone from Focus Ireland, Lisa Vance de Paul, um, Peter McVeary have said this is going to cause a tsunami of homelessness and we are out of emergency accommodation at the moment. Mm. Um, there has been like really tense Scenes leaders' questions was really, really divisive yesterday between Mary Lou McDonald and Leo Varadkar. Yeah. I'm um, talking about, you know, Mary Lou said you're just evicting people onto the street. What are people supposed to do? Um, I listened to <clears throat> the Tortoiseshack podcast and they were talking to a woman who has a disabled child who's said to be evicted. She doesn't know where she's going to go. And <clears throat> the government have said, <laughs> sometimes I think like, I work in politics, so I obviously understand there's a lot of, you know, moving parts and you have to look after, like, a lot of different people. But Leo Varadkar, the, ta- the Taoiseach, said this week that the demonization of landlords have caused rent hikes and are reducing housing supplies. So his point was, you know, if we keep making landlords the bad guys, they're just going to sell their houses, people are going to buy them and there's less rental accommodation. People are selling their houses because houses are inexplicably expensive. Mm. If you bought a house in the crash for buttons, why wouldn't you sell it now? It's not the demonization of landlords. It's because we are rinsing people for money with mm. property prices. They know they can make a huge profit mm. on their initial investment. So it's not the demonization of landlords. There is certain demonization of landlords. Fine. But that's not the reason they're selling flats. Mm. Do you think if you're making over a thousand fifteen hundred over the mortgage payment and someone says landlords are assholes, you're like, well, that's us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I don't need Mama, all this problem. The mean boy said something <laughs> terrible to me. So I'm, I'm selling my house and going home. It's literally like taking your football and going home, but you've sold up your yeah. two bed merino. <laughs> exactly. Like and like I don't come from the school that all landlords are bad at all. No, I have a great like, landlord. I've had great experiences with landlords. I don't believe that, but like this kind of characterization I think just doesn't help them, to be yeah. honest. I think it was significant well, I'm using his very words. Vincent Brown, um OG legend, uh, OG tweeted legend. this week. It is significant that all the agents dealing with homelessness believe the removal of the ed- eviction ban will worsen the problem, whereas the only agency that supports the ending 
renting of the ban is the landlord is association. The landlords. Like even the notion, like Veracker said, you know, renters need landlords and landlords need renters. Only in this country. Mm. You know, there are other countries where the state steps in. So they said that the 40,000 landlords have left the market. What they're saying there is 40,000 landlords have left the market. Yeah, because 40,000 houses have been sold. Mm. It's not like these houses are lying empty because landlords are being, you know, people are being mean about them online. Mm. Um, so it's, I don't think this is going to go away. I am very concerned because they were saying as well, you know, all the winter emergency. It's snowing this week. We yeah. have a yellow well running this week. It's still the winter. I know technically it's spring, but it always snows around my birthday. They, it gets very cold at the mm. start of March when the seasons change. But also if you use the weather as a justification, what you're saying is it's okay for people to be homeless if it's a bit warmer. Yeah. You're less likely to die is basically what they're saying. So like, we won't put you out on the street when it's like below freezing, but you know, it's actually a bit warmer now. So go on so the street. Darrell O'Brien, the housing minister, <laughs> said that he, he admitted that homelessness could very possibly increase. That is the understatement of the century. It I, will increase. I just don't understand how you can have every expert in housing around you outside of politics, mm. every agency that deals with homelessness, all saying this is going to increase homelessness. Mm-hmm. Like there is no, there is no doubt. And for you to say, yeah, I mean, yeah, like it could very possibly like what? For me, it will. I, when it comes to politics, like I really have no allegiances. And when it comes to me, I don't really listen to political parties as much as I listen to the experts and the yeah. field. So when it came to COVID, when it came to anything, I was like, I don't know enough about this and I don't trust politicians. So I will look and see what the experts say and what happens in other countries. Mm-hmm. And, Eviction bans, like blanket eviction bans, I understand they don't work in the long term mm. because it does like stop people renting out places because mm. if the house gets wrecked or whatever else, they can't, you know, get rid of the tenants or whatever. But that's not the situation. This is not yeah. the situation. Every expert, and not even if you don't want to listen to the charities, fine, they have a vested interest in keeping people safe. But <laughs> even if you look at, you know, any other expert in housing, they are saying this is a bad idea and we are going to be evicting. Children yeah, onto the street. More children. More children onto yeah. the street. Okay, let's move on. We debated whether or not we'd even mention this this week because everyone is so sick of them and their antics. And frankly, part of me wonders if this whole thing this week was just to try and get them back, back in, into the headlines. Yeah, into conversation because, you know, people had started to ignore what was going on. But also, you made a good point about it. So let's just touch on it. The Burks. The Burks. So Enoch Burke, I mean, you know I, who once, he is. I once called Elon Musk the world's biggest clown shoe. And I honestly can't even think of like a puffy yeah. anecdote about Enoch Burke. Enoch Burke, the fella that asked you for a hug at a school disco, was in court again this week. <laughs> God. You know what I mean, though. Like, I do, I, yeah. do, I do. So, um, <laughs> Enoch Burke was in the four courts again this week, um, and he had a number of, you know, objections to Wilson's Hospital School um, and the orders that are restraining him for attending. He's still attending. I think his bill is somewhere around 30 grand. Mm. Long story short, his family became incredibly loud, obnoxious, and aggressive um, towards um, the court itself. Um, the Court of Appeal has three judges. The three judges were forced to leave the courtroom a number of times. Um, Simeon, the 24-year-old Burke, um, had to be taken from the court 
Um, he was arrested. He was brought to the Bridewell. He was charged with engaging in threatening, insultive, insulting and abusive words. And he had sat. He had to go in front of the district court. The public order offence can carry a three-month jail sentence. Everyone has seen the videos this week on social media mm. of the Burke family shouting outside the four courts about... At one point, um, they said that in the court, they said that the judges were bowing at the altar of transgenderism. I'm starting to get the feeling they don't even believe this anymore. Mm. And I would just make the point, I used to be a court reporter. I have sat in courts where the most horrific children have been murdered, you know, people have been murdered, rape cases, whatever. I cannot tell you how the, if the Burks were from an estate or the flats or travellers or foreigners, they would not be able to act like this. They have been treated impeccably well mm. by the courts and the Guardi. One of my friends was saying yesterday, he was in a murder trial where a mother of a murder victim was told off for asking the defendant to look her in the eye. Mm. And these people consistently turn up to court and disrupt court settings and I think we've all watched the videos and it is bizarre and hilarious and you know well done to the the, Her- the Evening Herald whose <laughs> front page was Burke's drag show and it was then being dragged out <laughs> I missed that, that is very great, good like I enjoy that, we all enjoy it but I would also like to say we would be having a very different national conversation if these people were travellers. Yeah and I, I think that's a good point and that's what made it worthwhile to discuss Oh and anyway the end of the story is the Court of Appeal rejected all his uh, yeah <laughs> Um, next up, also, someone said this week, like, all of them still live at home with their well, parents. Well, no, Enoch does have his own oh, place, he? but he's been staying with his parents while he's on, um, while he's turned up at the school. Like, what is that house like? I actually felt for Simeon when I saw him being carted out. I feel, you know, so, honestly, like, I feel sorry for all of them. I just thought, you know... You, he does obviously he seems to really genuinely believe in what he's doing yeah. he's risking his future by acting like this mm-hmm. you know um, I, I don't know it's yeah. a very it's wild yeah. yeah because he's about to qualify as a barrister isn't he apparently yeah yeah so like how they do you they all are super duper intelligent yeah. they all have legal degrees like yeah. so much potential mm. I don't know um, okay, next up, you may hear a washing machine in the background, by the way. That's because we are women in Aoife's home and we're about to talk about women in the home. So actually, it's quite appropriate. Yes, domestic um, bliss. Uh, <laughs> um, because there is going to be a referendum on the uh, woman in the home phrase Woo-hoo! of the Constitution. Finally. Finally. What, what were we saying? A hundred years too late? Bloody it shouldn't last, have been in, yeah. in the first place. A referendum to remove a sexist reference to women in the home in the Constitution is to take place in November. The government very, very smartly announced this on International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. And it was initially proposed in 2018 after Roman had been banging on about it for decades. Um, mm-hmm. But it was postponed. Um, Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, said, For too long, women and girls have carried a disproportionate share of caring responsibilities, being discriminated against at home, in the workplace, objectified, or lived in fear of domestic or gender-based violence. And when that's when he was announcing it. And they will now have the referendum in October. Minister for Equality, uh, Roger Gorman, said that he thanked um, the Citizens Assembly on Gender Equality for their recommendations where this has obviously come from. Mm. And it's 
it's gonna be it's gonna be great it will change absolutely nothing, nothing yeah but, but it's it meaningful. is it's very meaningful in a symbolic way to say this was demanded it shouldn't have been done in the first place the constitution itself is an incredibly sexist document and we are we're, we're changing it will anyone oppose it oh yes i think so but i mean like political parties oh no 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 no, no. yeah Okay. But like, oh, there will be quite. Well, yeah, I mean, quietly, the Burks, I'm sure, will the have Burks, something to say. The Burks, <laughs> but um, oh, there will be a lot of people very quietly. Isn't there like the Irish Catholic Family Association or something? Yeah, like probably. That? Maybe like, David Quinn might have something to say. Could possibly. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. We'll have to wait and see. It'll be interesting. I hope to see. We have learned something from the repeal referendum as well. That you know the debates. <laughs> oh please. Yeah, they don't give you know equal footing to. A minority of about six percent of people, and then the rest Absolutely. of us have to sit through their garbage about how women are better at washing dishes or whatever. Absolutely, yeah, no. Um, I did a an event with the Irish Human Rights and Equality Commission this week. Shout out to um, Clerken. Yeah, uh, they do amazing work, and they have a recent campaign which is about care work. And their research with the ESRI from twenty nineteen indicates that women spend twice as much time in their lives as men doing caring tasks so that's like housework parenting taking care of older mm-hmm. relatives taking care of disabled relatives yeah all that stuff yeah and it has to change one of our friends works in um, geriatric medicine mm-hmm. and she told me that she almost exclusively deals with daughters yeah it's insane it's insane okay let's move on um we need to talk about this conversation <sighs> about about trans people being taught about in schools. Um, Isn't I it great phrased that, that really badly, but I'm just so exasperated. Isn't it great that we're like important, now, not only British Honestly. toxic ref, uh, conversations, but American? This reminds me of something the Republican Party would have. You know, this it's notion insane. of what you can and cannot talk about. Yeah. So the Catholic primary school managers say their pupils should not be taught what it means to be transgender in a letter to the government. And can we just say from the get-go, and this in itself is one of the big issues that we should be really confronting, is that this body represents 89% of primary schools. It's called the Catholic Primary Schools Management Association. So that's basically almost all of the primary schools these people I represent. I would also say I do not think it's representative of, you know, the actual feelings of headmasters. Oh, God, me neither. Yeah, me neither. So... They said that there's a lack of consent. Scientific. They said there is a lack of scientific consensus on the issue. I would just like to point to here, to here there is not. Mm. Trans people have been around for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. um, and then it might add to a growing psychological contagion. Even those contagion. words are so rem- reminiscent of fascist language. A contagion. Mm. Um, so they said, um, yeah, that they felt that it. They sh- it shouldn't be taught to young children. Mm. It would be counterproductive, generate unnecessary division. I'm sorry, L-O-L. They're worried about creating unnecessary division with this letter. Anyway, in school communities where none now exist, none now exist, we have just heard that, what was it, three quarters of LGBT youth in schools have been bullied. Mm-hmm. It absolutely does exist. Mm. The only way we're going to tackle that is if we educate children. Absolutely. Also... Children are so adaptable. They're so unjudgmental at, at young primary 100%. school ages. Anyone, anyone who I talk to who has young 
people, nieces and nephews, and they are trans, when they explain trans to them, the kids say, okay, call them by their new name and move on. Yeah, my kids already know about trans people. It's Of course they do. So anyway, um, Roger Gorman, who is always um, considered the boogeyman um, to these people, said that uh, primary school pupils should have an understanding of diversity and should be taught more of what it means to be transgender and basically has rubbish this um leo Varagher, the t-shirt we've talked about him a lot this we this have yeah. came out and said he felt that it was important um that young people are taught about transgender people um but he does think there should be parental impulse i i don't get that just because that's like saying i think we should teach children that french people exist but also that the parents should have input well also like what i think you i think he said that parents should have the option to opt out yeah. um but he also said it's hard because what he said i agree with a lot of what he said and i disagree with some of it he said i think the purpose of the education system is to prepare children for life and to teach them about the world trans people exist they have always existed and i think it makes more sense in schools to just inform children about the world around them Agreed. Mm -hmm. Then he says, this does not have to be a value judgment as to whether it is right or wrong. Why are you even suggesting that there's a question? And then he says... You just said they've been around for... They've been around for yeah, so like where, where's the issue? But it just makes sense to me that education is about teaching children about the real world. Agree, trans people exist in the real world, so why not just give them the information and the facts? And this is the thing, like that's that's the reality. What? If you don't teach kids about trans people and that they exist, then what are you going to do when they encounter a trans person? Exactly. What do they think? Not telling people that trans people exist is going to do. It's the same argument, and I've said this before, but most of the arguments about trans. Gender people is recycled homophobia. So what they, used to say, what they used to say is, if you teach young people about homosexuality, they'll all decide they're gay. Yeah, Lads, I've had gay people in my life since I was a very young child. Still very, very sadly straight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> every gay person I know has two parents. No, I mean, you don't get to, you don't get to choose if you're gay. That's not no, a thing sadly. that happens. Like I've always said it. If it was a choice, we wouldn't choose straight men. <laughs> Even more. <laughs> Thank you so much for your valuable contribution. It has been a, a real joy. Happy Women's Day. Happy International Women's Day this week and happy birthday to Thank you. you. Now, Claire Walsh is a competitive freediver. Don't worry if you don't know what that means. I got her to explain straight away when I spoke to her, who says the practice helped her find perspective, which changed her life. She writes about this experience in her new book, Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me How to Live. And I was delighted to get the chance to hear more about what it feels like to be in your 30s and find something that changes your life entirely. I hope you enjoy. Claire Walsh, people might be familiar with you because of your huge success in freediving. Um, but then there will probably be people who don't know what freediving is at all so maybe we should start there I think there'll be plenty of people who don't know what freediving is so from the start freediving is the sport of holding your breath underwater so it's measured in a couple of dif- different ways so the most common question I get asked as a freediver is how long can you hold your breath and the answer to that is five minutes and 59 seconds so to put that in perspective, that's the length of Bohemian Rhapsody. That is so long. It is so long. It's so funny. My brother texted me, brother-in-law texted me ages ago and he said, um, he's getting ready for work. And he texted me saying, Bohemian Rhapsody has come on. I've had a shower. I've gotten dressed. I've put on my porridge. I'm out the door. Bohemian Rhapsody is still going. So yeah. it is. It is a long song. So five minutes, 59 seconds. Yeah. Um, 
then there are pool disciplines. So done in the pool and they're measured in meters underwater. So if you think back to when you were a kid or maybe not so long ago when you were a kid, um, swimming the length of the pool underwater. I know I did it. Yeah. I still see adults do it at the end of their training sessions. I see my nieces and nephews do it. Um, it's a kind of a, a quite a normal playtime activity. Yeah. So that is, I suppose, a crude into introduction to pool freediving. And then you have the real showstopper, in my opinion, and that's depth. Right. So that is lying on the surface of the water, face down, you're breathing through a snorkel, taking a big breath in and going down however many meters below the surface and back up on one breath. No breathing apparatus. How do you even start doing that, Claire? Like, how did that start for you? Come on, I've, I, I have to understand there are, how you get from being a person who doesn't do free diving who tries to someone that. who goes to the depths of the ocean there and tries to hold the wreck. two stories that kind of stick out in my head, and I, I talk about both of them in the book. Um, one is a first time in, I was in the Galapagos. Uh, we were on a snorkel trip, and it was one of those ones where you pull up to a beach, they make you lunch. It was fantastic. Mm. So while we were waiting for lunch, I got into the water, and one of the crewmen joined me. So we're splashing around, uh, snorkels in our mouths, masks on, and suddenly he bends from the waist and starts kicking down. Now, in front of me, there are the most amazing colour fish. There are turtles. There's everything you can see. But I was glued to him. It was like he had gills. And I remember thinking he, he pulled himself down and he got a hold on. He held onto a rock and he started playing peekaboo with the nurse sharks underneath. It was incredible. And I do remember thinking, this is the closest thing I'm going to see to a merman in my life. <laughs> right. So what I was looking at was someone who was freediving. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And a couple of years later, I was, I was traveling again. I was in Belize. I was snorkeling with a group of Aussie lads and they kicked down, similar to that um, Galapagos crewman, and they went into a cave and came out the other side. Now, to me, they were gone minutes. Mm. And I was beginning to freak out. Mm. I kind of tried to keep up with them, actually. I'm kind of competitive. But I wasn't able to. So afterwards, I asked very nonchalantly, <laughs> you know, what what is that? You know, how, how can you do that? Mm. And they told me about freediving. Okay. That evening, I got back. I took out my phone logged onto the wi-fi in the hostel and i looked where was the nearest place i could do it and the day after that i got a bus train boat plane automobile to the island of utila and that's where i did my first course in freediving and i haven't been able to let it go since yeah and where were you in your life at that stage you were traveling obviously and mm -hmm. um, you know just traveling for fun or what was traveling going on? for fun ish <laughs> i was in my early 30s you know a big part of the book starts with what life was like before freediving. Mm. I was in my early 30s. I was single. I was back living with my parents. I kept on getting that email from the landlord. Sorry, we're moving back in or yeah. we're selling the house. So I was back again with my mum and dad. I was doing lots of different jobs. I have quite an eclectic background when it comes to training. Mm. So I was doing whatever jobs came my way that my qualifications would cover. Work had me all over the place, geographically mm. and probably mentally too right in comparison all my friends were 
getting engaged, meeting their partners, getting engaged, having their first baby, um, mm. having a house. Some were going back to college for their second career. And here was I. I had a battered Ford Fiesta and a boot full of puppets, sheet music and travel cups. Right. So that that difference, that distance between myself and my friends felt huge. Yeah. And it kind of started over Christmas 2014. My brother had been traveling the summer before and I just thought I need a change. Yeah. I don't know how many of those things, like finding a partner or new jobs or any of that, how much I could change. But certainly I was going to just get a change of scenery, if nothing else. And had you traveled before? Mm-mm. No. No. So this is a real adventure. Yeah, it was a real adventure. And certainly heading off in my 30s as a single woman was definitely a different way yeah. to do things. I am so glad I did it that way. Yeah. Now I find it hard to travel with people. Yeah. I have my own patterns, my own routines. But my 20s, you know, a lot of my peers were heading off, whether on the year to, to Australia or sure. interrailing or whatever. In groups. And, exactly. Yeah. But... I was having a pretty tough time with mental illness. Right. So actually, my full-time job was masking what was going on. Yeah. Now, I worked around that. Yeah. But what I was committed to most, what took most of my energy, was to prove to everyone that I was okay. Okay. And that mask fell, slipped, shattered. And it wasn't in my 30s that I, could des- that I was able to decide, hey... It's time to head off. And when you say mental illness, mm. do you, are you, I mean, if you're up for sharing kind of Absolutely. what shape that took. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, you know, if you use the word shape, it's one that goes up and down and around yeah. and curves and I can't really find the start and I certainly can't find the end either. And within that mess that was certainly 25 to 32, I received several different diagnoses and it's funny, diagnoses are important for treatment, mm-hmm. but sometimes I feel they just don't sum up what that looks like on a day-to-day basis. For mm. example, the expression, I have depression or I am depressed, that, and this is again something that I go into, and I'm, I'm open to sharing because in those moments I felt so alone and so isolated, and honestly, I felt like I was going a bit crazy in the truest sense of the word so by sharing what that looks like I am hopeful that someone else who does read the book thinks oh my god it's not just me Mm -hmm. and there's that little bit of respite Mm. so what that looked like on a I suppose a day-to-day basis it varied you know I was really committed to coming across talkative and confident and like I have my shit together Mm. but the reality is a small conversation that I might have would play in my head for hours afterwards. Mm. Now, not only would it play, but it would take legs. It would grow. It would distort. And the worst thing was nighttime. You know that point when you're just about to fall asleep? Mm-hmm. You're not fully conscious. You're not fully uh, asleep either. And that's the moment of vulnerability, of weakness that I find all my thoughts would just come and assault me Mm. there are so many nights I would lie awake 
and the tears are streaming down my cheeks like they're running away from one another mm. and I am gulping back the sobs mm. and you know you're trying to remind yourself this isn't real this isn't normal you're just tired but you know what reality seems to have shifted in that moment yeah. and you're really struggling and trying not to believe believe all those thoughts that are going through your head that you are not good enough that you are not lovable that you are and so on mm-hmm. and with a night like that how do you get up the next day and put the mask back on it becomes yeah. more and more difficult to stand back up yeah. and and keep going with that facade that you are working so hard on yeah so so that's where you're coming from mm. when you head off and and that's where you were when you discovered free diving mm. And then how did free diving change your life? Free diving changed my life because it gave me a routine and a structure to begin with. Yeah. But I think, you know, free diving could be running for someone else. It could be crocheting. Mm -hmm. It could be what gardening, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't specifically have to be this kind of mad out there sport. (laughs) It is, you know, something everyone can find. So it gave me routine, structure and discipline. But it also encouraged me to practice mindfulness. Mm. So when you're free diving, you are in this moment and then the next and then the next. You are trying not to judge. You are observing your thoughts. You are in your body. You're noticing the subtle changes, mm. whether it's in your mind or your body. And, you know, this is something that is, I suppose, a through line throughout the book. Free diving became an opportunity for me to come back to myself mm. again and again and again. We're not... <laughs> We're not um, strangers to the idea of distraction. Mm -hmm. We have Netflix and our phones and Twitter and Instagram and whatever. You know, we tend to bombard ourselves with all this distraction. And I am, I I don't want to brag, but I am amazing at distracting myself Mm. from what's really going on. But I describe a dive about three quarters of the way through the book where technically it was really good. I was doing the depth I was supposed to, but something wasn't right. Mm. And I wasn't distracting myself. I was doing everything I was supposed to, but something was different. And I described coming up from that dive and something like it opened. And I'm I'm, I'm pointing to my heart Mm. space here. Something opening, something relinquishing a tight grip. And I came up, I draped my arms over the boy and my coach looked at me. I did my surface protocol. I'm okay. And my mask filled with tears. I started bawling. Something had just opened. So when I think, you know, the opposite of that, distracting, not thinking about what's going on, not touching base, what's happening in your body. Mm. And then this other experience where you were so immersed, connected, exactly. And free diving didn't just do that for me once. It did it for me again and again from 2015 until 2023 onwards. It's amazing because I think so many people are looking for that, Mm -hmm. are looking for that thing that becomes um, a safe space for them, that becomes um, a place for them to focus their energies in a positive way where they can kind of have that, oh, wow, this is it experience. And some people never really find it. Well, here's the thing. It's hard work. Yeah. 
my book spans, you know, a timeline from 2014 up to March 2022. And it's not like I discover freediving and then that's it. Yeah. You know, the whole thing and, and something I kind of felt quite strongly about writing is that, you know, life is in cycles. Mm. Once you have something sorted out and boxed off and tick, I have that done. Mm. Guess what? Something else turns up. Something yeah. else turns mm, up. Tell me about And it. then something else like no one has their shit together all yeah. the time. No one has it figured it out, fi- all figured out. The more you learn, the realize the more you don't know. Yeah. So, you know, it, it is about coming back to that again and again. OK, hang on a second. Whoa. What do I need to do here? Yeah. For example, I have a book coming out that is a real opportunity for me. It is also an opportunity for nerves, yeah. for self-doubt, for imposter syndrome, Absolutely. for imagine, you know, worst case scenario. I am denying the best case scenario. But for me this week um, and around this time, I am coming back to what I know. Mm. So it's little things like getting up early. That makes me feel a bit better. It's doing some breathing practice. Mm. You know, I'm saying that and I kind of roll my eyes as if, oh, this is such a painful thing to do. But it is something that I can come back to and know. And that is the discipline. That is the structure that are they are the tools that free diving has taught me Mm. that I can apply in my day to day life. Mm. But like I said, it's, you know, free diving might not be your cup of tea. Yeah. But there are things you can do. Um, Most people drink tea or coffee. How many of us pay attention to what we do, to what we do and when we do it? Mm. So if it is, you know, if, if you're in that kind of, I suppose, quickened state when you're stressed and there's kind of that low level hum of anxiety constantly mm. and you're breathing short and shallow and you're thinking of what you have to do, where you've been yesterday, a conversation you had with someone else, a text you replied to, making your cup of tea or your coffee, your daily ritual, using that as an opportunity to ground yourself paying attention to pressing the button on the kettle, the feeling of the handle of the press as you open it to pick out mm. your favourite cup or whatever it yeah. is. There are opportunities throughout the day yeah. that aren't beyond the the activities of day-to-day life. Yeah, it's funny. I remember like I remember a time when I was working in Galway and I was doing um, a breakfast radio show and I used to get a taxi to work every morning at a quarter past five. <sighs> It was, yeah, and I was also going out every single night. So it was, you know, a wild time in my life. I was sleeping in two shifts. I used to sleep for four hours in the afternoon and then four hours at night. It was crazy. Like I was in my 20s, (laughs) the kind of thing you do when you're in your 20s. And I wasn't very happy. Um, And I wasn't very happy at work. And uh, I was having a hard time. Doesn't matter. I wasn't, I I wasn't Mm. very happy at work. And so I'd be in the taxi in the morning. And I remember doing that, just being like, you're you're not in work right now. Yeah. You're in the taxi. Yeah. So let's just be in the taxi, taxi and like, let's try and just enjoy this moment for what it is. You're comfortable. It's quiet. Like you're driving by La Catalia. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. Try and like, you know, stay there because I think it, and it really did help me. And I've never really been very successful at that kind of thing. My brain tends to mm. kind of run away with me. Um, but I remember finding that really helpful. So that totally makes sense to me what you're saying. Yeah, and you know, it sounds kind of woo-woo and, yeah. and even sometimes I roll my eyes at myself. But when it, when you get to that stage where you haven't been doing that and you are unhappy and you are stressed and you are letting the intruding thoughts come in, you know what? I'll try anything yeah. at that point. It's worth it. You know, it's worth giving it a shot. So yeah. even if it is 
small positive affirmations. And certainly, you know, writing the book was was an interesting experience because I write about that period in my life mm. and I speak like I spoke to myself then, mm. which is so cruelly. Mm. And, you know, one thing I have learned or saw over the journey from 2014 to 2022 is how you speak to yourself mm. matters. Mm -hmm. And I need a reminder of that. Mm. My husband is probably the best for it. You know, he'll hear me getting panicked or just not feeling I always say grounded myself, just not feeling confident. Mm. And he will say, can you please stop? I really don't like hearing those things about my wife. Mm. And it's such a lovely way to put it. Mm. He's not Irish. And I try and package all those kind of exclamations in Irish self-deprecation. I can mm -hmm. get away with it if I use humor. Mm -hmm. But actually, it, it he's reminding me, hang on, hang on, hang on. Your body is listening to this. Mm. How can you expect it to do all the things that you're going to ask it to do. Mm. And there's a really, there's a lovely moment um, in the book. I describe a dive, so a breath hold in Bray. <laughs> <laughs> so not the exotic waters of a bra Excuse broad. Excuse me, no, sorry, Bray no. is very exotic. Oh, Bray is very exotic. <laughs> um, so I'm, I had a really bad day. Mm. I had an experience with a doctor where he told me an illness was in my head. Right. It was not a good day. Mm -hmm. I came home. I felt flattened. I wanted to pull the duvet over my head. In fact, I did. And then those thoughts came in going, what if it is in your head? And you mm. start that dialogue, which is just relentless. Mm. Booty came in, ripped the duvet off, went up. You're going for a swim. I started protesting. No, 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 no. I can't. My low energy, you know, went, no, let's go. Now he seldom puts his foot down. Mm. I was really glad of this. Mm. So he had my flip flops ready to go for me at the door, threw the dry rub at me. He had the togs and towel under his arm. We went down to the beach and we got in and it was cold and it mm. was beautiful. And I said to him, I want to do a breath hold in, in this one. <laughs> um, because it's usually done in nice warm waters and we mm. wear thick wet suits but I was mm. in my togs and the water was probably 10 degrees I said yeah I do mm. so I, I prepped a little bit um, which is a type of breathing that you do before you hold your breath and I put my face in the water and my body got a shock and suddenly those thoughts that I had that started berating myself they just quietened down mm. and I thought about that doctor but I also thought about tapping into the strength and mm. sense of resilience that holding my breath does. Mm. You know, I'm not going crazy. I'm not weak. Mm. I'm not leaning into these symptoms. I am fighting it. And mm. this in the water, this is where I know how to fight. Yeah. And it was such an empowering moment and such a, a clear moment of, hey, what you tell yourself is really, really important. Yeah. And when I lifted my face out of the water and I saw Booty and I gave him an okay sign, then you realise, yeah, I am okay. And that is something that I try to tell myself every day, every time those thoughts come back to start poking and prodding and finding, you know, chinks in the armour. I'm okay. I got this. 
Claire Walsh, mm-hmm. I have no doubt that people will want to read the book. It's Underwater, How Holding My Breath Taught Me to Live. And it is out now as you're listening, um, which is very exciting. Uh, and I'm sure lots and lots and lots of people are going to read it. Thank you so much for sharing Thank with us. Thank you so us. much for having me. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's time to talk celebs. This week, the IF denominations came out. And yes, of course, everyone is aware of the scandal, even if you don't know any of the relevant players or the details or none of it makes sense to you. Don't worry, I'm going to give you a nice little explainer. And uh, fortunately, I have Cassie Delaney to help. I am just absolutely delighted to be joined by the wonderful Cassie Delaney. You may know her from Tall Tales Podcast. She has been absolutely nose to the grindstone producing my pot on paper for the last, what is it, like nine months now? Oh my God, it feels like my entire life. Um, Yeah, this is my legacy is watching young straight people on TV and producing a podcast about them, which is really the antithesis of what you would expect me to be doing. But there we have it. It is anything, anything for a dollar. It is really just so long. It's so long that it goes on for long. And then we have this brief hiatus and we're back again for the yeah, summer. Yeah, now they're so. doing it twice a year, yeah. I Too was much. watching um, and then Virgin Media got hacked and they stopped putting the episodes on the player because they couldn't. Um, I don't know if that's been resolved, but um, that meant that I kind of couldn't watch because I was never someone who could sit down in front of the TV and watch it. You know, it was always yeah. on in the background when I was like making dinner or whatever. So I've completely fallen off. I don't know what's going on at all. I don't know who's you good. I don't know who's evil. Nothing. Oh, good. It will have zero impact on your life. Wonderful. So congratulations. Well done on, on making that time back. I love to hear it. Thank you, Cassie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about what's been going on in the world of entertainment this week. Um, let's start with the IFTA nominations. Um, the IFTA is obviously the Irish Film and Television Awards. So exciting to see this. So obviously Irish film and TV have been having just the best year. Yeah. Like we're just doing so well. It's like, 
oh, just incredible to see. So the IFTA nominations, we've seen some sort of the consistent trends that we've seen elsewhere. Banshees mm-hmm. of Inisherin doing really, really, really well. That has 11 nominations. Um, Bad Sisters as well getting a, a rake of nominations. All of the supporting cast are up for Best Actress. So they're going to have the best night out of their lives. Mm. They're just going to have such a great time. And then in the kind of in the mix there, it's great to see stuff like Aisha, which is a drama that focuses on immigration that follows really closely behind Banshees with 10 non- nominations. Mm. Um, and it's just it's just brilliant to see. And one of the things that I think is so encouraging about the IFSAs this year is seeing that there is parity between male and female talent being mm-hmm. recognized like mm-hmm. the best director category there's rachel moriarty is in there for rosie and frank um antonia campbell hughes is in it for it is in all of us um and then obviously Emma reynolds in there as well for joyride amongst the likes of martin mcdonough for banshees yeah. and connor mcmahon for let the let the wrong one in so it's just like it's 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 like a, a playbook on how to do award ceremonies well mm. and i think it's really really good especially in a year where we've seen sort of some controversy out of the brits because all of their best artists were men mm. um, and even best film in in the oscars a lot of them the themes that they cover are male mental health male perspectives on the world and things like that yeah. so very encouraging to see the iftas actually recognize a variety of talent a variety of themes mm. and i just think everyone is going to have a wonderful a wonderful time at it it's also just like there's so much as you said I mean and we know this because obviously Irish film and television is having a a bumper kind of 12 Mm -hmm. months but like to see it on paper you're kind of like whoa like there's loads of amazing people here like for example in the supporting actress category you've got Jesse Buckley versus Kerry Condon, you know, Women Talking versus the the Banshees of Sharon, Elaine Cassidy for The Wonder. Like these are massive films that came out this year. Like you couldn't even call it. It's not like sometimes it would be like there'd be one big Irish film or whatever and, mm. and you'd feel like, will they even go? You know what I mean? But this yeah. year it's so glitzy because these are all very, very famous, very successful actors and it just really shows how strong things are and it's just wonderful. Yeah, incredible. And, and to see like the the distribution partners that these films and and TV shows have, like we're seeing Apple TV represented, Mm. Netflix, Sky Cinema. These are the biggest players in the game. And Irish talent is just, it's at its peak. Like we are so strong. And obviously when one Irish person does something, it feels like we've all achieved So like, I cannot wait for us all to get our Oscar. I was just thinking that. I was like, why do I feel like I somehow like, you know, have ownership over this? Because I I really don't. I have watched these films. So therefore I have contributed. And I Um, support them. Yeah. Yeah. And I I tweeted about Bad Sisters. So obviously, you know. I mentioned um, it at least three times on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just great to see. And it's also really exciting that looking, it's a great, um, I suppose it's, it's if anybody's looking for things to watch over the weekend, especially this weekend, because people are probably staying in before the bank holiday. Mm-hmm. But um, you can get a lot of these films on Volta, mm-hmm. which is like the Irish rental things. Yeah. Um, and then obviously a lot of them you can get through their distribution partners. Like The Wonder is out on Netflix at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, so spend a, spend a little weekend inside. It's going to be cold mm-hmm. and watch some of these great Irish productions. That's a great recommendation. OK, let's move on to a total fucking scumbag. Um. 
This man, we talked about him before in this slot because of this case that was going on, mm. but it was um, kind of resolved this week with his sentencing. I'm talking about Stephen fucking Bear, as I have written in this brief. The dregs, just Ugh. the dregs of humanity here. Scum. So he's he's just everything I disdain about the opposite sex. Um, so he ha- he was in a relationship with uh, Georgia Harrison, who we know from Love Island, between November 2018 and July 2019. So they were in a consensual relationship. Mm. During that time, uh, Georgia was in Stephen's house. They had sex in the garden. There were CCTV cameras. She didn't realize it was being filmed mm. and he accessed the footage or whatever. Showed it to her. She said, do not shared that with anyone. Mm. He just ignored that entirely, shared it with his friends and then ultimately put it on his OnlyFans account where he profited from it. Mm. So last it was last Friday morning, he was found guilty of voyeurism and two counts of disclosing private sexual photographs in um, in the UK and sentenced to 21 months in prison. But I think one of the like awful things about this was seeing his reaction after the trial yeah no remorse Mm-mm. absolutely no remorse out of him and then to see his fiance jessica smith tweet the truth will eventually come out which i think just goes to show how manipulative he must be to women that if he can convince her that yeah she, he is somehow innocent in all of this where it, it's so traceable it's so tangible he posted the video to his only fans account and profited from it so yeah it's and so- even like the footage of him when the reporters got to him after the sentencing and he's like, or maybe it was before the sentencing, but anyway, outside the court. And he's like, well, you know, maybe we'll, justice will prevail and we'll hear the truth. And it's like, what are you talking about the truth? You did this. Like, it's undeniable. Mm. It's been proven. You did this. Like, what is the, there's no other side of the story. Like, this is, it's crazy to, for him to even be trying to manipulate and spin even after the fact. And then to, you know, he pulls this girl in for, he's like, do you want a selfie, love? In the so middle of the kind of all the photographers and the news cameras. And he's really patronizing to the female reporters who are around him. He's just, as you say, I think he represents the worst parts of toxic masculinity. He yeah. is that personified. And obviously there are, and I hate to do this, but it's true. There are loads of men who are just as horrified as we are. But like he he is proof that everything we're afraid of exists. That like, you know, the Andrew Tate effect is real, even though I don't think Stephen Bear got it from Andrew Tate. But like, you know, that these men are out there, you know, and it is yeah. horrifying. It is. And it just goes to show like his attitude and this prevalent attitude that uh, uh, women as objects. So he saw that as literally a commodity that he Mm. saw a moment between them captured on CCTV footage and he used that to profit from it, knowing that it would cause a huge amount of embarrassment Mm. and upset and just awful like feelings for Georgia just and he didn't care because he does not view women as equals and there's plenty of obviously there's plenty of men who are horrified by this and think it's disgusting but there are also plenty more men like him and that's the terrifying thing yeah yeah I mean I think there are more good than bad I do I do want to say that like but even like one or two or five or let's be honest it's hundreds 
of guys like this who exist, um, you know, on internet forums and in reality. Mm. Um, and internationally. Like being platformed. Yeah, like yeah. he should not be on our TV screens. Now, obviously, he's been disgraced and he will probably never appear on our TV screens. Again. I hope not, but you and wouldn't know. He'd be banned from all sorts of social media, but. You yeah, really wouldn't know, though, because, I mean, now, obviously. I'm not saying all of these things are are like for like, but like Louis C.K. is back. Mm. Um, you know, Dapper Laughs once scorned back, you know, in a new kind of fathery guise, finding great success in podcasting and social media. Like, you know, you wouldn't know. He may well mm. be back in the public eye. He might not be on, you know, ch- a Channel 4 program or like on a, you know, a, a big broadcasters program. But the problem is that with the advent of social media and kind of self-publishing, which obviously I'm a huge fan of, but the 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 drawback of that is that anyone can be huge on the internet. Yeah. You know, they just have to find their audience. And I think he has an audience and that's awful. Yeah. Anyway, fair play to Georgia Harrison, who I think has been an absolute class act throughout this and fair play to her for taking it to court and pushing it and pursuing it because I'm sure she's gotten a lot of backlash as well. I've seen some of it online. So I know it's not simple to do something like this, especially when you're, you know, public people. Um, Of course. So big respect to her. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Bruce Willis. So we obviously heard the sad news that Bruce Willis is experiencing a very specific type of dementia, um, which is... So sad to hear. I mean, so so sad. Yeah, like, so awful. Yeah, really awful. And it's a very, um, it's a very niche. Is that the, it's rare the right word? But like, it's a very rare condition. Yeah. Um, so he's got frontotemporal dementia, and it particularly impacts how someone might engage in society and the relationships with people and mm-hmm. mood swings and things like that, as well as all of the things you would expect from dementia. Yeah. Um, so. The diagnosis was shared with the public in March of 2022. So I imagine that he's been experiencing it for quite a while before they shared it with Mm -hmm. members of the public. So this week, um, his wife, Emma, was kind of forced to speak out on Instagram, basically asking the paparazzi and the public not to engage with Bruce when he's out and about, to not shout at him and to not ask him. So she did a really good job of acknowledging that the paparazzi exists. It's some people's jobs to go out and snap celebrities and get the photos. But she said, if you are someone that has looked after someone with dementia, you know how difficult and stressful it is to just get someone out in the world, Mm. just to navigate them safely and just to get a cup of coffee. So in the spirit of raising awareness, it's clear that there's still a lot of education that needs to be put forth. Mm. Um, So please, you know, she basically asked people to please keep their distance and to um, not shout. She says, I know it's your job, but please just keep space. Um, And that, that space is not, I mean, everyone's entitled to their privacy or whatever, but that space is a safety issue here yeah. you know you don't want to see him getting confused or getting aggravated or, or just being invaded and scared yeah. exactly um, it's... so it's really 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 sad that she's had to do that but I think a really good message to put out there yeah to make people aware of of the impact of yeah to mention this particular type yeah um god love him. I know god love him it's so sad dementia is just a fucker um no two ways about it it is um okay now Let's talk about Scandival. 
Right. I told you okay, I would take no. the lead on this. So do not you worry. You did, and I'm so grateful I have had. <laughs> this has been in my peripheral all week. My partner, Lydia, like gasped with the news and it has it has dominated the majority of conversations. I am being tested on my knowledge of these people mm-hmm. to see if I can keep up. Just before I said to record this, she looked at me and said, it's such a shame because I can see this information sieving out of your head like water. And I was like, that is that is fair. That is fair. I'm just doing my best. Okay. Just doing my job here. Okay. So you you take it away, Louise. I'll take it away and you just make reacting noises. I'll gasp when appropriate. So I think it's important that we talk about it though, because it has been everywhere this week. And, you know, even I was getting my nails done this morning and Joe, who does my nails, was like, oh, no, please, like, please just explain it to me. So mm-hmm. I know there are lots of people who won't have engaged. There are lots of people who haven't engaged with the housewives and there will be loads more people who have never engaged with Vanderpump Rules. So first of all, Vanderpump Rules is a spinoff of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, 10 years ago, there was a bit of crossover between one of Lisa's restaurants, Lisa Vanderpump, famously a cast member on The Real Houses of Beverly Hills. Um, So there was a woman who worked for her, Sheena, who had relations with one of the Beverly Hills housewives' husbands previously, and which led to the demise of their marriage. Brandy Glanville is her name. So there was a bit of conflict between Brandy and Sheena. And that's how we were introduced to Sheena on The Real Houses of Beverly Hills. And then what happened was they set up a meeting between Brandy and Sheena in one of Lisa's restaurants. And then literally without taking a break, Sheena stood up from the table and walked through the restaurant out into the service area, out the back of the restaurant, and it was Vanderpump Rules. That's how they did this spin-off. They didn't even say you need to start watching a new show. They just went from one episode straight into the other. That's art. Truly. Art. I mean, magnificent. Yeah. Um, so that's where I started watching it. I was like, I'll give it a go. And I was absolutely glued. Like it is, I, I've seen a lot of people agonizing over it. People who are like, oh, I've got such FOMO and I want to know and blah, blah, blah. But it's 10 years and it's such an undertaking. I think it's 190 episodes. But honestly, the early seasons are so good. It's actually worth it. Because the thing about Vanderpump Rules is you're looking at these young, hot people who are Mm -hmm. all working in the service industry, but really they want to be models, actors, whatever. They're all having sex with each other. They're all best friends, but they're all treating each other like dirt. They're not great people. Like Mm. a lot of them. It's the perfect fodder for reality TV. Exactly. You've got people who are young and poor and desperate for fame. Exactly. And they live in like real apartments and they're kind of grimy, but they're also hot. And it's, you know, it's just highly entertaining. So anyway, um, over the 10 years, obviously things have changed. Some of them have evolved into kind of halfway decent people. Most of them are still terrible and relationships have ended and relationships have begun. But two of the longest running relationships within the show were between two best friends and two women. The two guys' names are Tom, Tom Schwartz and Tom Sandoval. Schwartz married to Katie and mm-hmm. um, they've been together since the very beginning of the series together for years um but they announced their divorce last year so the current season that's airing they've come back and they're trying to navigate being friends within this friend group but divorced and obviously their relationship has changed and the current conflict in the show is over a supposed romance between Schwartz and this girl Raquel who's another character's ex-girlfriend and you know everybody's been like are they aren't they who knows but people weren't like you know it wasn't that serious Katie and Tom were divorced Katie was like please like we have an agreement you just if we're going to be friends you need to find your sex outside of our friend group Um, and why are you doing this and like that was the main area of conflict so all of our eyes are on the Schwartz Raquel ball what's Mm -hmm. happening what's what's happening there 
And then the other Tom, Sandoval, has been with Ariana for seven years. They would be married, except Ariana doesn't believe in marriage. That's been a storyline. Ariana doesn't believe in marriage, but they there's never been any signs really of trouble in paradise. You know, there's been, they've talked about their sex life not being great. Um, but like, you know, you would think that like everything was fine. And then it comes out this week that no, it wasn't Tom Schwartz who was having the, rom- the relationship with Raquel or the romance with Raquel. It was in fact Tom Sandoval that it had been going on for seven or eight months that they are apparently in love with each other mm-hmm. and that they were doing it in Tom Sandoval and Ariana's house while Raquel was staying with them recuperating post her breakup. So like <sighs> deception on the highest level. Raquel supposedly Ariana's friend. Tom, mm-hmm. supposedly her partner of eight years, and they're doing it right in front of her without her knowing. And what I have, what I have gathered is that we all, collectively, the entire world loves Ariana. Yes. So right? Ariana is the best, in my opinion, she's the best one on the show. Like, as I said, they're all kind of awful. Ariana tends to be the voice of reason. Like, she's quite direct. She'll tell you if she's pissed off at you. She'll forgive you if it's reasonable. Like, you know, she's cool. And she'll also, like, get really shit-faced at her birthday party and fall over and, like, laugh at herself for it, you know? She's just, like, a cool girl. Um, And, yeah, so everybody was already kind of on Ariana's side. And Tom Sandoval's always been, like, he looks like, someone said to me, is it like he every photo of him looks like a cartoon villain like is that on purpose and like yes he's like overly styled super egotistical like macho man who thinks he's great at everything basically and ariana uh, one example is ariana they both were uh, bar people in the restaurant and they both made cocktails and ariana came up with this idea to do a book about cocktails a cocktail book and then tom was like a big baby about it and insisted on doing it with her so when the book came out it was by both of them so like he dominated all the time so i think lots of us were kind of like i was always like please ariana like you know you can do so much better than this leave him yeah so for him to shaft her it's so horrible so yeah the entire world is on ariana's side and it just became absolutely enormous news this week and the beauty the beauty of this show is that it's not one of those like super polished overly produced programs like the reason that it works is because it is quite real and i and all of the previous castmates and some of the current ones have podcasts So they've all been podcasting away about this. So we've been getting lots of different bits of information and they all are back on camera. So the season had wrapped, but Bravo were like, get the fucking cameras in there. So they're shooting again. So we're going to get to see this all kind of fall out in reality because none of them have any resistance to sharing every, every bit of their lives with the world. It's so beautiful when you have that mix of people who want to overshare and people who want to absorb it. I yes. did promise Lydia, I would start from day dot mm. and watch Vanderpump Rules. It's now, worth it. So it's I'm worth gonna, it. Honestly, yeah. it's worth it. And you know, it's been, it's been really interesting to see the fallout and see, cause I was feeling a bit guilty about kind of enjoying it because at the end of the day, it is like someone is heartbroken. It is the end of a long relationship, but Ariana's filming. So I'm kind of like, you know, she's, she's okay with this being entertainment on some level because I mean, that's the life she's yes, chosen. She is- Exactly. And if she's got the right supports around her and she's choosing to share this with the world, there is a difference between good gossip and bad, bad, bad gossip. Mm-hmm. And even me as a bystander who doesn't know these people enjoyed the 
how far removed these people were and how mm. it's not hurting them because they're going to benefit from it financially yeah. and through whatever else comes of it. And I think that is that's the that's that's where gossip belongs. That well, is the lovely, yeah. enjoyable. We can all engage with I it. I totally agree. Side with Ariana. And I did see Tom's apology. Yeah. He says that the that the anger is warranted. So even he's acknowledging it. Yeah, he's so apologized twice. His first apology was in relation to the two restaurants that he is a part owner of with the other Tom and various other business partners where he basically was like, um, look, I'm the one who did this, not my partners like, and not the staff. So don't be dicks about the restaurant. Mm. And then everybody was like, no apology for Ariana. And so then he came out with another one where he apologized to her. And he's like, look, I wish, because the rumor is that himself and Raquel are like, we're in love. And he's like, I wish the relationship had started in another way. His excuses for not telling her are like, she experiences depression and she's been open about that. And also there was a death in her family. So that's why he didn't, you know, there was never the right time. Like oh, he's a weasel. He's a weasel. He looks like a weasel. He's behaving like a weasel. If the yeah. shoe fits, he's a weasel. But it's been um, really interesting because um, Stassi, who is a former castmate of theirs, she was fired by Bravo a few years ago because she was involved in this really horrible kind of incident of racism against mm. another kind of minor cast member. So herself and another another girl were fired. And I was I put her podcast on this morning. She doesn't talk about the show at all on her podcast or in any of her work. And what I didn't know and what was became clear when I was listening this morning is that she's done like a lot of therapy and a lot of work and kind of worked mm. really hard to get away from it all. Um, because she she talked about the fact that when you're in the show and when you're in relationships with people on the show, everybody's emotional intelligence is like severely stunted because they start to assess relationships and everything on the basis of what's going to be a good storyline, what's going to be good for camera. And they just don't know how to behave basically. And she said that she was definitely guilty of that. And she said that, you know, at the, toward the end of her podcast episode, she was like, I actually need to, I cannot talk about this anymore because I don't want to go back there. I don't want to be the person that I was then. I don't want to get back involved in these dynamics, even though she's still friends with those people, but she's like, she's moved away to try and be like a healthy a healthy person with healthy relationships yeah. but there's just something about reality tv that makes everything kind of slightly toxic it's so fascinating though mm. like you could talk about it for hours and mm -hmm. think about how you would behave if the whole world is looking at you versus how you behave even when you when you're you're private or, yeah. you know but also your life your livelihood is caught up in you being entertaining yeah. and your life being entertaining so like if everything's good and you're happy you're you're like oh well this is bad because it's not going to make for good tv like i completely get it now will that make me stop watching reality television no no i look i'm honest about my my failures and that is one of them i will never stop not a failure at all it's a psychological um it's anthropology it's it, sure sure yeah that's what i'm gonna call it um anyway if you've been wondering what is going on hopefully that will give you a little bit of an idea um someone i saw someone tweet and they were like this is the way i'm explaining it to people it's like if chandler cheated on monica for seven months with rachel and joey knew the whole time because that's the other element people think that the other tom knew and that he yeah. was pretending to have this relate romance with Raquel for cameras to distract from the fact that this actual affair was going on but nobody knows if that's true um we'll just have to wait and see because it'll all be on tv that's the beauty of it catch up I'm gonna lock myself away once Love Island is over and yeah. catch up with another form of straight people behaving badly on tv I'm excited Here for you go. I'm excited for you um because it, it the thing is it is enjoyable notes. there's a few slow oh well, I'm ready there's a few slow seasons but the early seasons are fantastic you'll fly through them 
And on that note, I will free you into the world. Cassie Delaney, thank you so much for A, uh, bringing us those stories and B, listening to me wang on about Vanderpump Rules. Truly a pleasure. I enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> Where can people find you? They can find you at The Creep Dive. They can find you at Tall Tales Podcasts. They can Podcasts generally on the internet. I'm Cassie Lorraine everywhere. Wonderful. Thank you, Cass. Thank you. Bye. Now, it is just about time for me to go, my friends, but thank you so much for being with me. I don't have a lot in the way of recommendations. I had a really busy week this week um, with International Women's Day. I, I'm i really lucky I get invited to do some really cool work around this time of year. Um, and I had really good conversations within businesses and with people about some of the work that's being done to kind of uh, address inequality and inequity in our society. Um, and I learned loads and it was great, but it didn't leave a lot of time for TV or reading or anything like that. But my one recommendation, I guess, is to watch Vanderpump Rules. It's on Hey You. Um, they're not paying me to say that, but that's definitely the easiest way to watch it. It is total trash. It is absolutely enthralling um, and ideal to have on like in the background. Maybe watch the first few episodes, not uh, just having it on in the background so you know who the characters are. And then if you've got a big job or like cooking or cleaning or whatever, you can have it on in the background and just listen to the drama even and you will enjoy it. In the meantime, if you want to get extra content, go over to the Patreon. The link is in the show notes. You can also send me feedback, thoughts, complaints, moments, dramas, anything you want to the catch-up phone. Oh, 089-209-6423. The WhatsApp is there ready and waiting. That's 089-209-6423. I hope you have a lovely week, but sometimes it can't be and that's okay too. Let's just put one foot in front of the other and we will talk again next Friday. Thanks a million to my brilliant contributors and to ACAST for having me on the network. I will talk to you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.